welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Good morning. I love Good Friday. It's quite a sobering video, don't you think? You know, the Bible records that when Jesus hung upon the cross, he spoke at least seven things that we know of. And every word that he spoke on the cross had powerful implications. Equally miraculous was the fact that he could speak at all. The fact that Jesus Christ could hang on a cross and say anything at all after the brutality that he endured in and of itself is miraculous. Within less than 24 hours, Jesus had to endure four trials. All of them were bogus. None of them were legit. They did it at night. They did it behind closed doors because they knew Jesus was innocent, but they wanted to condemn him anyway. So behind closed doors in the middle of the night, he has four trials that he had to endure. And they came up with this scenario that he was worthy of death, although the people who sentenced him to death knew that he was an innocent man. Such is the craziness of the moment at that time. And as he was sentenced to death, firstly, they flogged him. They stripped him of his clothing. They whipped him across the shoulders, back and legs. And the severe beating that most prisoners endured often died from that alone. Jesus was then mocked by the Roman soldiers and they made light of his claim to be a king. And so because he claimed to be a king, they put a robe on him and they put a a crown of thorns on his head. And they put a scepter in his hand and they began to beat him and beat him and beat him and say, come on, you who say you're the king of the Jews, prophesy now who's been hitting you. Then if that wasn't enough, Jesus has to carry his cross. Along the Via Della Rosa, which is a 650 yard journey. And when you've endured that kind of suffering, that in and of itself is a task. So much so that he faints and another man was asked to carry his cross. Jesus is then crucified. He's nailed to a cross. Wrought iron spikes through each of his wrists. His left foot is placed atop of his right foot and wrought iron spikes straight through the both of them, holding him and piercing him to the cross. He was battered, beaten, bruised, and he hung upon the cross a bloody mess. And in this state, in this condition, and in this time, He speaks on seven different occasions. The first thing he says on the cross is this. As he looks down 
upon those around him. He says some of the most incredible words that you're ever going to hear for a man who has suffered so much, remembering he was innocent. He says these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't have a clue what they're doing. They've got no idea. Father, will you forgive them? This is a whole message in and around the subject of pardon. You see, the timing of Jesus' words would suggest that he was referring to Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, the Sanhedrin, the soldiers, those mockers around him. But also it would have included Peter, who denied him, Judas, who betrayed him, and the disciples who deserted him. But what you need to understand about this message that Jesus spoke on the cross, it's a timeless message. Because he wasn't just saying, forgive them at that moment in time. He was looking upon all of humanity. And so, Father, through what I'm doing on this cross, will you not forgive the whole world? He looked into the future. And he saw you and me. He saw us here today. He said, will you forgive them? Will you forgive them? What I love about the gospel, and the gospel simply means good news. What makes the gospel good news is it's a message of forgiveness. That no matter how bad we've been, no matter what we've done, we can be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's the good news. And if you've had a church experience where the good news never sounded like good news, but it just sounded like you got bollocked every week, On behalf of the church in this city, I want to apologise. Because the good news is good news. Unfortunately, religion has a great way of making good news really bad. And really boring. And really dull. And really colourless. And they love making a big deal out of things that don't matter. And so when you bring a drum kit into a church, they say, Oh, it's of the devil. What? Really? That was a massive issue in the church many years ago. You add to that synthesizers. Try and say that with a lisp. Synthesizers. And electric guitars and then lights and smoke and audio visual. I mean, oh, the good news is good news. And it should be celebrated in every way, in every facet with lights and with smoke and with audio visual and present the good news of the message of Jesus Christ because it's a message that you and I can be forgiven no matter how bad we are. It's good news. I know as a young boy growing up when I'd done the wrong thing and my dad needed to discipline me and disciplined he did. And for some reason, he felt that I, as a middle child, needed to be more disciplined than the other two. Can you believe it? Someone throw that man out. I'm going to discipline him right now. 
but to know that there is forgiveness. I cannot remember a time where my dad hadn't finished disciplining me without coming back. Maybe five to 10 minutes later, sometimes it felt like years. And there's always this thought, what's he gonna do now? Your backside's still glowing. But to see this man come up to the bed, wipe away my little tears, kneel beside my bed, and say something I didn't understand when I wasn't a parent, but I do now as a parent, that hurt me more than it hurt you. I think, really? I'm like, you might want to put your hand on my body, it's still hot. Really? But as a father, I get it now. I get it now. But as a young lad, to be able to look my dad in the eye and hear those words, I love you. I accept your forgiveness. Let's start over. Let's have a clean slate. This is not going to be held against you. I want to tell you, as a young kid, that's good news. It's better than getting another bollocking. It's good news. Imagine hearing this. I want you to know, it'll never be good. You've blown it for all time and eternity. You're going to hell. I tell you, when I heard those words of forgiveness, it was good news. I wrapped my arm around my dad and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. The message of the cross is one of forgiveness. And forgiveness is good news. Jesus doesn't stop there. I mean, that would be enough. If Jesus just died there, I mean, that's enough. Looking down on all these people mocking him and he can forgive them. I mean, are you kidding me? That's awesome. But Jesus doesn't, he, he doesn't just do awesome. He goes over and above. The second thing Jesus says on the cross is this, and this blows my mind. He looks to one of the thieves who's been crucified with him. The scripture says that Jesus was crucified with two criminals, one to his right, one to his left. And one of those criminals was mocking Jesus. So why don't you help us? Get us out of this predicament. But the other thief says, whoa, 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 quiet. They weren't whistling always look on the bright side of life. He says, quiet. Don't you get it? We, we're getting what we deserve. This is an innocent man. And he looks at Jesus and says these words, Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus, uh, Jesus utters his second word on the cross. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise, which is a message of assurance. You see, one of the thieves, one of the criminals had enough nows, even in his pain, to recognize 
that this was an innocent man, number one. But he also had enough nous to recognize that the forgiveness, he would have heard those first words of Jesus, forgive them. And he tapped into the forgiveness that was on offer. See, it's not enough just to be forgiven. You've got to receive that forgiveness. And this, this criminal, he's going, man, if, if forgiveness is on offer, if forgiveness is on offer, I, I, I want some. Jesus, if you're giving forgiveness, I want it. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I want your forgiveness. The other one just got bitter. People often say, if God's a God of love, why do bad things happen? I tell you why, because people ignore Jesus. They ignore his love. They ignore his forgiveness. They ignore his message. And Jesus looks at this man and says, today, I want to assure you, my son, you'll be with me in paradise for all time and eternity. He assured this man that all is well with your soul. Your body's going through agony right now. That's a consequence of your sin. But I want to tell you, your soul and your spirit, it's well. No more is mentioned about that criminal, but I imagine as he hung upon the cross, there was a peace. There was a peace because of the assurance of the words of Jesus. The third word Jesus spoke on the cross is this, and this is mind-blowing. Jesus hangs on the cross. He looks down at the four people that have followed him to the cross. There's only four. Oh, there were crowds of thousands when Jesus had healing on offer. When Jesus was giving out free food, thousands Do you know on one occasion, Jesus turned a little boy's lunch into a, a feast for over 5,000 people. The Bible says there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. If you had a woman for every man and then two kids for every man and woman, you got about 20,000 people there and there was a feast on offer and there was food left over. That's a great party trick. The crowd is there then. When Jesus is in trouble, that's when you know who your real friends are. And he's got four. And 75% of the four are women. Thank God for women. I love women so much, I even married one. I love your haircut, honey. Nice little fringe going on there. Don't worry, it'll grow. It's cool, it's all right. Oh, pray for me, I'm in trouble. Jesus is on the cross, an innocent man, and he's not thinking of himself, he's thinking of others. You've got John, and you've got Mary, and you've got Mary, and you've got Mary. 75% of the four were women, and 100% of the women were Mary's. But one Mary was his mother, his natural mother, the one who gave birth to him some 30 odd years ago. 
And as the oldest son, he feels a burden for her. He feels a responsibility for her. And he utters his third words on the cross. Dear woman, here's your son. And he points to the disciple that he was closest to, John. Then he turns to John and he says, John, here's your mum. In other words, look after her. I'm not going to be around anymore. But I want you to look after her. Because that's the essence of Christianity. That we look after widows. That we look after orphans. That we look after the poor. That we look after the struggling. That we look after those that have everything but have nothing. That we look after those that are struggling with their mortgages. We look after those that are struggling with all their money and all their things, but there's still an emptiness on the inside. Jesus is saying, come on, Christianity is not about you. Christianity is about getting involved in the lives of others. John, look after her. That's the essence of Christianity. And it's the essence of this church. We exist as a church to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. And this church is full of testimonies of people, ordinary people, some down on their luck, some down on their marriages, some doing really well in their businesses, but essentially there was always something missing. That's the the common denominator to all the testimonies of this church. There was the common denominator, there was something that was missing. And I want to show you one testimony of one of our precious people in this church. So please turn your attention to the screens and listen to Tori's story. That's why we're here. As the church, I've been many things. I've been angry, I've been frustrated, I've been lots of things. But one thing I can honestly say I've never been is bored. Because when you put your hand up to say yes to God and you choose to serve Him through the church, oh, you'll have plenty of things to get involved in. And you'll have plenty of opportunity to cry out to God for help when dealing with people. The fourth thing Jesus said on the cross was this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is a message of trust. These words emphasize the humanity of Jesus. This cry is from the painful heart of the man, Jesus. At this moment on the cross, he's feeling deserted by his Father and the Holy Spirit. For the first time in all eternity, he's been separated from his Father. He's now all alone and he must face death by himself. And it's in this moment he places his trust in his father, not his feelings. And we must do the same. If there was a moment in Jesus' life where he had to stand alone, and didn't have the support of people and everything else around about him, 
That'll be true for us. And it's at that moment we trust. And we trust in God. The fifth thing Jesus said on the cross. And this one for me is probably one of the most staggering things. Jesus says, I am thirsty. And for the first time ever, he speaks about his suffering. People, listen. He's been flogged. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's been nailed to a cross. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's unrecognisable. He's a bloody mess. And he hasn't said a thing about his suffering yet. And the only mention of his physical suffering is this. I'm thirsty. I know some people get an ingrown toenail. And it's the end of the world. I mean, when a Christian gets an ingrown toenail, it's like, where's God? Where's God? I've got an ingrown toenail. I thought giving my life to God would mean I would have no ingrown toenails. Are you kidding me? Jesus endures so much. And the only time he opens his mouth is for a drink. Because he's thirsty. Don't ever buy into this nonsense that Jesus is meek and mild and weak and insipid. That's strength right there. He endured the pain. He invited it. He welcomed it. And he never complained. This is our God. Who is this King of glory? It's him who hung on the cross in all his pain. And said, can someone get me a drink? I'm thirsty. Wow. I don't know what image you've got in your head about Jesus. But I do know this, the biggest part of Australia have got this stupid notion of who Jesus is and it's so far from the truth, it's ridiculous. And every week I get up here or someone else gets up to here to try to smash down the lies and the, the preconceived ideas that people have of Jesus being this namby-pamby, insipid person. I wanna tell you there was never a man like Jesus who's ever walked this earth. So strong, so powerful. So dignified. This is our God. My question is why do we give so little to the one who gave so much? Let's face it the biggest complaint against the church by people that don't go to church is this they're full of hypocrites. Non Christians have recognized the church is full of people who say one thing and do another. And that tag, for the most part, is, well, has some truth to it. But we can turn it around. If we understand how much he gave, then maybe we'll start giving a little bit more ourselves. Instead of living a life of duplicity.
a life of hypocrisy, but living a life like Christ. The next thing he said is this, it is finished. And it's a message of victory. The words it is finished simply mean this, it's been paid in full. That the suffering was over and his task was complete. You see, the thing about Jesus, he didn't die young. He didn't die old. He died finished. The goal of every person's life should not be to die old or young, but it should be to die finished. It should be to die finished, that we've, we've had a sense of our purpose and our calling. We know why we're here. Jesus knew why he's here. It wasn't about being 33 years of age. It was about being finished. His task was completed. How many of us can say that about ourselves, that we know our purpose so much that we know when our job is done? Most of us are just trying to hold on to life with all we've got. And in trying to hold on to life, we don't live life. Because if your life is not attached to a purpose, we're not really living life, we're just existing. Jesus, full of confidence, says, it's finished. I'm done. I can't do any more. There's something inspiring, I think, being around men and women who have, a, who have a very real sense of who they are and what they're called to do. You know what I mean. You've been around those people. It's inspiring. I think if Jesus could be in the flesh, we'd be inspired. Such strength, such tenacity, such knowledge of who he was and what he'd been called to. The seventh thing that Jesus said was this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, which is a message of hope. And having said this, the Bible says that Jesus breathed his last and gave his spirit. Wasn't, his life wasn't taken from him. He gave it freely. He gave it willingly. See, when it comes to hope, biblical hope, biblical hope is a supreme confidence in God's word and God's promises. It's based upon the fact that God's word can be trusted. It's not a wishful thinking. It's not a vain hope. Some of you know what I mean. You know, there's that girl that you like and you just hope beyond hope she likes you back. You ever had that? And you just hope, it's a vain, there's no knowledge. There's no confidence. You're just hoping, oh, please, please. And some of you are so hoping that you won't say anything to her just in case your dream is shattered. So you just live in the illusion of maybe she likes me. I'm not talking about that kind of hope. I'm not talking about a blind faith. People think, oh, Christians full of blind faith. As if somehow evolution is the answer. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does the Word of God. Because both of them are faith-based. But the faith that Jesus could put in the Father and the hope that came from that 
was a supreme confidence because God's Word could be trusted. Let me explain it this way. If Sam, who's sitting on the front row here, said to me, Tony, I'll see you at church Sunday, and I believe her, and she turns up on Sunday, that says more about her integrity than my faith in her word. See, when someone has integrity, it's easy to believe them. It's not a blind hope. It's not a blind faith. Oh, I don't know. Sam said she'd be there. I'm not too sure. No, no, no. I've seen Sam's life. I've seen her over many years. And you know what? When Sam says something, she does something. Oh, I can put my faith in her. Does that make sense? And when you study the Word of God, and I was reading in Isaiah just this week, and you start to read about the Messiah who was to come 700 years before He was born, and where He would be born, and how He would be born, and the circumstances surrounding His birth, and it all came to pass. I want to tell you, when God is that specific about something that's going to happen 700 years from now, oh, I tell you, and it all comes to pass, there's something that you can put your faith in that. Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And just to prove I'm right, a rooster is going to crow. And that happened. And I believe Jesus was letting Peter in on a little secret. I can be trusted. My word can be trusted. And just as I said to you, that the rooster would crow, having denied me three times, you will be the one who builds my church. And you will have a place in heaven. So rest assured. Many people I know today don't live with that sense of hope. And because there's that, not that hope, there's hopelessness. And so people dive into all sorts of things, be it drugs, be it alcohol, be it their work, be it their family, be it their holiday. They dive into things. Because without that, there's no sense of hope. And we just bury the thought about a future. We bury the thought about an eternity. But you know what? Everyone in this room, we're all going to die. The mortality rate in this nation is 100%. It's worth thinking about. The question that has to be asked about Jesus going on the cross is this, why would he do it? And my simplest answer I can give you this morning is this, because his love knows no limits. What I've learned to be true is this, that you do anything for the people you love. Yeah. You would have heard stories of people running into burning buildings, not because it was a dare, not because they had nothing better to do, but because there was someone on the inside of that burning building that needed to be rescued, needed to be saved. And the moment you save someone, you become a saviour to that person. But what compelled them was their love. Their love compelled them to go into a dangerous situation at the risk of their life to rescue someone. That may be an extreme illustration that you can't relate to, but let me bring it back home. How many of you dads with little daughters who who, who kind of are finding their creative flair have allowed your fingernails to be painted Not because you're kinky, not because you're weird, not because you have a fetish, not because secretly you've always wanted to be a little girl. No, but your love for your little daughter compels you 
to be humiliated because you love her. Anyone else done that? Please tell me. It's not just me. Please tell me. Anybody? I didn't say wear a dress. I didn't do that. Not into dress. I'm not. I'm not. Just. Some of you aren't convinced. What about this one? Standing in the freezing cold with rain not coming down, but rain coming sideways. Watching your son play soccer. What would possess a man? I'm telling you, if my son ain't playing in that team, I'm gone. I, mean, I like the other kids, but man, there's only one reason I'm here. My love for someone. Love will make you do crazy things. Love will make you go to great lengths. Why did Jesus go on the cross? Because he is madly and passionately in love with humanity. The greatest random act of kindness that the world has ever seen did not appear on television this week or last week or however long the series has been running. It happened some 2,000 years ago where Jesus just took the initiative. And said, you know what? I'm going to love people. And I'm going to make a way that their sins can be forgiven. To help us reflect upon what I've shared this morning. I'm going to ask Steve and Danny just to come up here right now. I'm going to sing a song. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.